Welcome everybody, you're listening to The Breakfast Show on Faith FM, 87.6, 87.8 or 88, right across Australia, right across the Faith FM network, wherever you are, positively different radio, in the morning, you're with the Double L team, Lalan Lawson. Lawson. Uh, what are you thankful for this morning? Uh, oh, I don't know, I don't know, I just don't know anymore. He's just not thankful for anything <laughs> anymore, it's just like... The thankfulness has run dry. Well, well hey, hey, hey. Just do like I do, start in the workshop, you know, work oh, from one okay. thing to the um, The hose. The hose. He's thankful oh, for the dude, hose Dude, I morning. love the hose. So Your dog loves I'll, the hose I'll, as well. Yeah, I was just telling Lyle about how, like, every time, you know, I, I go I go motorbike riding pretty much every day yes. at my place in the backyard, whether it's, like, as soon as radio finishes, I go there for, like, an hour. I count that as, like, exercise time, and then I get into my work for the rest of the day. Or, you know, I'll work all day and then r- bike right at the end and um you know i wash my bike off with the hose and then the dog standing there and then i just squirt the dog with the hose it's like the favorite it's like it's favorite thing yes it just runs it chases the hose and just like and then you stop like mucking around with it and you just like shoot it right in the face and it just sits there and just like rolls around in the water and it's just the best like so funny you've got a cattle dog right yeah 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 we yeah. have a cattle dog <laughs> and it's and the it's their, their favorite thing is the hose i mean my dog, everything is its favourite thing. Take yeah. for a walk, that's its favourite thing. Squirt the hose, that's throw the ball, that's its favourite thing. You know. Yeah. You just got to love dogs. Their enthusiasm for life. My dog has a stick at the moment that it likes to bark at and then pick up and take to another place and put on the ground and then just bark at it there. It's like... <laughs> <laughs> this is, and it's this one stick too. It's and you've like, got a big yard. You would think you would only happen to a cattle dog in a small yard, but you've got like no, it just, a couple of acres or I've, something It's right got there. like... We've got lots of it's sticks, yard. but it's just one. This one stick, it just loves barking at the stick. I don't, I don't know, man. We had a we had a porcelain kind of frog thing that sat in the garden, but it wasn't sitting in the garden. It was in the shed, and I took it out one day, and it freaked our dog out so bad. He barked at it for like three hours. You're listening to the Breakfast Show podcast on Faith FM, positively different. To positively different news while you think about it. All right. Lawson, what have you got for us? So positively different news. Hey, you know how yesterday we were talking about gun violence in the United States, defund the police, and some of the the um, the solutions they're trying to put in place to be able to fix these issues. And one of them in particular was uh, becoming a violence interrupter. And I know, Lyle, that your response to that was, oh, how much would you like that job? Yeah. Which the <laughs> assumption is... Walk into a gunfight. The, the assumption is not a lot, right? Because, like, that is intense. Um, but that's been, like, exactly what's happening in the United States at the moment and in, in a number of towns where you've got incredibly high homicide rates. And it's actually been working. And the other thing that I love about this is that it's really been driven by the church. Okay, but how is it working when you've got homicides are up by almost 50% this year? So we're talking about, like... Because this is like, that's a nationwide statistic, right? 50%. Yes, that's a nationwide statistic. But, you know, the area of the highest concentration of violence interrupters is in New York City, and they've got a 50% rise. Oh, wow. Okay, well, from what I'm seeing... Let's have your positive story. What I'm seeing in these statistics is that it's actually working in a number of places, the first being... um, And I think the difference is is that this is being um, led by the church. So check this out. Yeah, that would make a difference. So, but and check out the method too. So, um, in Minneapolis in particular, which is you know that was kind of the scene of the whole George Floyd thing, and it is an incredibly violent place. 
like really like high levels of gang violence and and you know homicides and like drug arrests and all kinds of things um so basically you've got a, a couple of different groups coming together kind of led by the church but you've also got um so you've got jerry mcafee from the new salem missionary baptist church as well as louis king from the summit academy oic which is essentially their local trade school their tafe um have come together and have devised a plan um they're in this period at the moment this event called the 21 days of peace and basically they're getting people from the congregation um from their trade school to go into the street to put down lawn chairs and to just sit there you know to spend time in the streets of one another gathering in small little communities like you know why do you get run over if you put your lawn chair no okay they're not in the middle of the street they're on the side (laughs) of the road they're on the side of the road but out in the streets sure where these violent crimes do take place you know as we mentioned yesterday a lot of a lot of these homicides are coming from drive-by shootings things that are happening brazen out in the open um and they're like hey look if we just have a presence out of here rather than everyone just being inside then surely the rate's got to go down, right? Like if there's just I like a, this idea. a higher community presence. And so they've actively gone to the precinct in Minneapolis where they are part of the fourth precinct and they've gone, okay, what's the most violent and, you know, troubled like streets and neighborhoods that we have in this area? And they've identified them to, you know, these this group. And so they've gone out and just chucked down lawn chairs um, in, you know, just small little groups of maybe three or four people up and down these streets um, where they just sit there, converse, hang out, study the Bible, like literally do anything. Uh, but whilst they're sitting there, it's kind of like creating, again, more people out in the area. So people who are perpetrating crimes are far less brazen. And they've seen during this time a drop in, um, well, first and foremost, homicides, but secondly, in, in, uh, uh, sexual assaults in aggravated assaults. They've just, which been... are, that's interesting because those are assaults behind closed doors. Mm, but you know, it's some things that can like kind of transpire out in the open as well. So just because of the higher community presence out in the streets, it's just giving people less opportunity to be able to commit these crimes. Yeah. I'm fascinated with this. This is really interesting. It's like, how does this actually work? Like, what what's the psychological change that makes? I mean, are people just afraid that there's more eyes that are actually looking at what's going on? Mm. Or is it people seeing people just having, you know, a fun community time and thinking more peaceful thoughts? I think it's it's a mixture of both, right? Like, if they were just sitting there, like, you know, if you replaced all those people with police then there would be lots of tension in the area because it'd be like, oh, we're constantly being watched or whatever. But when they're going out and in sitting in these groups, they're just kind of... It's just people being a community. Yeah, that's right. They're just spending time with one another and, and talking. And I feel like it's just leading to a less intense, more peaceful vibe. You can't then say that this is, oh, you know, this is the solution and, and we need no, to continue to defund police. No. But it's something that is... That is working in... If you find something positive, keep doing it. In this Add this, it to what you already have. Don't take away from what you've already got. That's right. That's right. In this specific community, also in Nashville as well, they've seen a 40% drop in crime since they've started doing this in June, um, according to police statistics. So Winter will be hard. That's right. Yeah. In Minneapolis, oh. where it gets to 30 below and stays there for a fortnight. Mm. And no one could... I mean, that's the high temperature for the day. Yeah, <laughs> yeah dude. So, I don't know there'd be too many people sitting out in 30 below weather. That's right. But Although, ho- hopefully criminals aren't going out at that time as well. People who live there 
do have the clothing for it. That's it's right. possible. But yeah, just during this time, like they're getting out, they're seeing, they're also seeing similar um, examples in Baltimore as well, where crime is dropping there. So I think although we we are seeing, and and as a result of, you know, police defunding and and less control and whatnot, we're seeing a rise overall in these crimes. A few different communities in big cities like Minneapolis, Nashville, and Baltimore are like big urban cities with lots of crime. Um, we're seeing some solutions so i'm 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 about it obviously you know i sit here as an australian and and we are in a very very different situation to to over there um but you know i I think this is a positive thing and what it shows me i think the real positive thing we can take away from this as christians is when christians do something that meets the needs of the community from like even a from from the outset doesn't seem like a spiritual basis the community is improving. Like this church, these churches are becoming lights in their community of, oh, hey, that's the church that sits out and makes sure everyone's safe. Like, and, and, and so I feel so inspired by this of, hey, how can we be beacons in our community that is, it, that is in the same, doing things in the same vein, in the same light. So definitely something inspiring for us as Christians to take away from this, um, that we need to be a part of our communities and identify for these guys, it's homicides. For us, it could be, you know, all kinds of things. Hey, what does our community need? How can we meet those needs and become a beacon in our community, get people interested in uh, in what we, in, well, in the God that we love and that we serve. So really powerful stuff. Hey, oh, I only have a minute and 40, 40 seconds, but I want to talk about this. I want to talk about, <laughs> I've talked about this a number of times, but I wanted to highlight it again because um, the news is highlighted again and the number of towns this is affecting is growing. And when I when I say this, I mean the number of towns in Italy that are selling houses for one euro. Oh, okay. Is, yes, is increasing yes. and increasing and increasing and increasing, and I'm like, so it's actually working. It's yes, it's working. It is working, and more towns are getting on board. And you should see these places. Okay, the first town I have here, it's the beautiful um, Pignon. Uh, yeah, that's just dude, spectacular. This is like a Bronze Age city, bro. Uh-huh. Like just. Like all these stone buildings, it's just incredible. You can find a house there for one pound. You can also go to Sambuca in in Sicily as as well. Sambuca nice. in Sicily nice. are Sicily's, selling houses. Sicily's supposed to be a beautiful place. I haven't been there, dude. One euro, bro. That that's what they're selling houses for. And th- dude, this last one I thought it would get you excited because it kind of looks like Tasmania, but like way cooler. It's this mountain. There's, there's no such thing as way cooler. Dude, in Tasmania. look at this mountain. Oh, snow is town. So this is in um uh I I don't know how to pronounce that word, but it's it's in Italy Valley itself. Valle di Aosta. Valley di yeah. So that's the region. Um, in Valley di Valley di Aosta, dude, you can like go there. Like this is this. It reminds in, me. In it reminds apps. me of La Basiglia. In the Waldensian Valleys. Dude, this is exactly what it reminded me of. You can get homes there for one pound, uh, sorry, one euro. And as Australians, like, there are very little restrictions for us going to Europe. So You have to live there if you buy it, though, don't you? Isn't that the restriction? Yeah, that's restriction? right. That's right. You can't but, just buy it and own it for a holiday. But this house. is the thing. It's like, we're in lockdown. They're not. It's one euro. I've got that in the bank. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go. Let's go, dude. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM, positively different. All right, so, okay, we're living in uh, New South Wales right uh-huh. here where The Breakfast Show is coming from. It's interesting to compare different jurisdictions as far as the whole mandatory vaccination uh, system goes. Mm-hmm. And just want to restate that, you know, generally, uh, well, we are supportive of responsible vaccinations, mm. 
And we are very, very supportive of freedom of conscience on this particular issue. Nobody should be telling you what you should or should not be putting in your body, which is very disturbing when we see the level of coercion that is existing in Australia. Other than me. Just just listen to me. Yeah, whatever. Just, just, <laughs> you, you just be quiet. Nobody's going to listen to you, Lawson. Uh, but... You know, it, it is concerning to see the yeah. level of coercion that we have. We do live in a country where it will never be under current constitutional law. It will never be uh, m- mandatory across the board to have to have the vaccine. Mm. They will never create that because under the Australian Constitution, you can refuse, you have the right over your body to refuse any medi- medication or medical procedure that you want. That's mm. your personal right. However, they can make it incredibly hard for you. And one of the uh, very challenging things, you know, the, the New South Wales roadmap out of this situation, we've talked about it before, where they are acquiring vaccinations to be able to attend a church. Mm. And so, yeah, I've sort of been having a bit of a look around the world and seeing what other uh, jurisdictions are doing at the moment. And if we head over to Switzerland, uh, so they've got a similar thing over in Switzerland where the pastors have to inspect COVID passports to Oof. allow people into church. So you're basically turning your pastors into police officers and it's like, no, we have a police force to do that. They can do that job. Why should we have to do that job? Mm. And why should you be, what are you going to do, deputize the uh, the pastors? <laughs> you know, that's not a great idea. But Switzerland is different from a number of perspectives. Mm. First of all, you can go to church if you've had a vaccination, same as New South Wales, mm-hmm. or you've had a test, mm-hmm. or you've recovered from covid Now, to me, this seems to make much, much more sense than what we have here in New South Wales because it opens it up for people who have a conscientious objection to the vaccine. It's like, well, I've got a conscientious objection, but I can go get a test. That's right. There's responsibility there of like, oh, hey, no, but I'm doing what I can, which people want to do what they can. And there's also recognition that recovery from COVID gives you better immunity than the vaccine does anyway. (laughs) <laughs> Why we don't have that kind of recognition here in this country, I will never know. But, hey, whatever, maybe I don't understand the science behind it. I'm not a scientist nor a health expert, so do not take my uh, opinions based on science and health uh, as being you know, gospel truth. Mm. But it just it's a huge question that I have not seen answered yet, and I would like to see the answer for that. Now, what's interesting is that this is still opposed by evangelical Christians. It's been accepted by uh, mainline Protestant Christians and the Roman Catholic Church and fully supported by them. But evangelical Protestant Christians have come forward and said, you know, that this doesn't provide for the disadvantaged person, Mm. the person off the street who wants to walk into church and needs to have the support and care that a church provides and for whatever reason they are disadvantaged and do not have the vax or do not have access to testing, uh, haven't got a certificate of recovery from the virus and so then they're banned from church and the whole purpose of church is that church is open for every body that there is no questions asked. Mm. You know, Jesus is there for everyone, no questions asked. Jesus never asks whether you had a vaccine, a test, or you've recovered from the COVID to come to him. Mm. And so interesting uh, comparison, New South Wales is far more arbitrary than Switzerland, even though Switzerland has one of the more arbitrary uh, rules on this particular issue. Moving over to the United States, uh, Joe Biden, of course, just putting through a law right now that requires any company that has more than 100 employees to either vaccinate, they have to be either vaccinated or tested on a weekly basis. 
mm-hmm. which has, you know, the Americans just crazily up in arms. But even still, it's nothing like as draconian as what we have here. Yeah, that's right. Because, you know, at least they provide for people who have a conscientious objection. Mm. If you have a conscientious objection to the vaccine, fine, go get tested. Mm. Now, the test is not fun. Both you and I have had our uh, brains. Fair, I've had our, my fair share. I've, I've had like three now. Three. I've had one. <laughs> had my brain tickled and all that kind of stuff. It's just like, I just Got the microchip put up there? Yeah, yeah, all that. <laughs> Uh, it's not fun, but at least you've got a choice. Mm, that's right. And choice is important on these issues, particularly when they become issues of conscience. Now, a lot of people say this is not an issue of conscience, this is an issue of science. But for many people, their body being the temple of God, anything that they put into that body, they believe is, you know, they must do that to the glory of God. Mm. And so that's the decision that they make. And I support, mm. you know, people's decisions that they make about their, their personal decision, about their personal body is a decision between them and God. And who am I to judge that? Mm. Anyway, so that's what's uh, happening. Uh, of course, uh, this is going to affect about 100 million people in the United States. Uh, a lot of people, a lot of uh, congressmen are saying that this is not contrary. Uh, that is unconstitutional with no provision for those who cannot get the vax for medical reasons. Some people, uh, they're just told, no, you can't have the vax because you're going to have an anaphylactic shock to it or whatever it might be Mm. and die from it, and there's no provision for that. Yeah, oh, it's just like, oh, well, it looks like you have to... Because what if if they're in a company that's got 100 or more people and they can't get vaccinated... Yeah, you're out. Then you're just fired. You're done. Mm-hmm. Oh, that sucks. It does. It is, is pretty miserable right there. Mm. And, you know, there's so many people who are working, you know, within aged care here in Australia and the medical profession in Australia that we really need right now. Yeah, that's right. Just let them get tested once a week. Mm. You know? Anyway. All right, let's move over to Eritrea. We did say we'd talk about Eritrea. Now, um, I'm not sure whether I've been to Eritrea or not. Oh, okay. I was in a part of Ethiopia uh-huh. where the Ethiopians were like, this is Ethiopia. Uh-huh. But if you look on a map from Eritrea, the map of Eritrea very, very clearly places that area in Eritrea. <laughs> uh, we were right beside the current disputed border. Oh, okay. Within eyesight of it. Oh, okay. Nice. So Eritreans say that I've been to Eritrea. Ethiopians say that I've never been to Eritrea. But oh, anyway, man, they all claim you, Lyle. Do you feel important? <laughs> well, they just arrested another 15 Christians in Eritrea. Um, all of them have uh, prison records. Some of them have served prison sentences of up to 16 years already. Wow. Others somewhere between five and six years. Uh, their ages are between 20 and 60. Imagine being 20 years old and already having served five years in prison mm. for your faith. Wow. You know, what kind of faith does it take to say, yeah, I'd rather go to prison than to deny my faith Mm. and then face 16 years in prison? Uh, They've all been thrown into the maximum security prison um, in the capital city, uh, why you would want to put Christians in maximum security. And maximum security prison, of course, in Ethiopia, well, Eritrea, which is like Ethiopia, can you imagine what that's like? Well, they're living in shipping containers. (laughs) Baking hot in summer. Mm. Freezing in winter. Um, Is it one of those situations? Oh, I guess it's maximum security, so no. But you know where they, in in Mexican prison, where it's like a kind of like a little town or community just inside a bunch of walls? I have no idea, but it is not a prison that I would ever want to be inside of. Uh, These are desperately, desperately poor countries. There's about 160 uh, Christians who are currently imprisoned in Ethiopia since uh, the majority of the churches were closed back in 2002. 
Mm. Now, this is interesting because 50% of Eritreans are Christian, 48% are Muslim, and there are four Christian churches that are allowed to exist. The Oriental Orthodox Church, which is kind of like the Ethiopian Orthodox Mm -hmm. uh, that we were familiar with, uh, Sunni Islam, uh, Eritrean Catholic Church, and the Lutheran Church are all allowed to exist. Of course, our church, the Adventist Church, has been banned. Mm -hmm. And the one that they go after the hardest and the most is the Jehovah's Witnesses. Yeah, that's pretty common, though. Everyone's really gone after those guys. Uh, and, And they're like... You know, they come and knock on your door. They're like the most friendliest, harmless people you ever mm, came across. I mean, right. who's ever going to be offended by a Jehovah's Witness? They're just standing there with a big smile on their face. <laughs> you know? When have Jehovah's Witnesses ever gone to war? Now, I'm not here to be an apologist for Jehovah's Witnesses. I don't agree with the theology. That's fine. They're lovely people. Mm. Anyway, that's what's happening in Eritrea. So we need to be praying for the situation over there. Uh, as Christians are being imprisoned. We need to pray for the spread of the gospel and particularly the message of the soon return of Jesus Christ. In You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM, positively different. Fantastic stuff. Well, joining us on the phone this morning is a semi-regular contributor to The Breakfast Show and an occasional host of The Breakfast Show, Darren Pratt. Darren, welcome to the show. Good morning, Lyle. Good morning, Lawson. So good to join you today. Now, Darren, we have an interesting subject that uh, I I would like to talk to you about today, Um, something that we have spoken about before in the past. It keeps coming back, and every time it comes back, it comes back with a little bit more research, a little bit more strength, a little bit more impact than what it has before, and that is looking at social media and, you know, the impact that uh, Instagram and some of these other social media uh, apps have on our lives and particularly the lives of children. So for those of you who don't know Darren Pratt, uh, he has dedicated his entire life to children's ministry. That he is his area of expertise and so he's our go-to person in all things in relationship to children. Darren, this latest piece of research that's coming out, this latest uh, article that has come out in relationship to Facebook and what they actually know about Instagram, what is this telling us? Yeah, well, there's an article out just this week in the Wall Street Journal which absolutely blew me away, Lyle, because what it said was that Facebook knows in their own research that Instagram, that's one of the um, social media platforms that um, Facebook owns, um, that they know that Instagram is toxic, especially for teen girls. Now, this is interesting because, I mean, hey, I've got Instagram. Well, I had Instagram. I think I deleted it like six months ago or something. Rather, But I had Instagram for a long time. In fact, uh, you know, both my wife and I, we got quite into Instagram there for a while. We got into photography. It was fantastic. We enjoyed, you know, um, making photography. Shell became, you know, mildly Insta-famous with like 35,000 followers or something or other. Wow. And, uh, wow. Yeah, it was it was it was fun. We did it for about five years, and it was just a great thing to do together as a couple, going out and taking fo- photographs. Why is it, and what makes it toxic? Yeah, well, this is the interesting thing: is that um, there's this um, teenagers are wired. Um, it seems to seek approval. We all are in some sense, but teenagers specifically are wired to seek approval with the tweets and the likes and. Um, all those things that come with social media. And social media, particularly Instagram, which is very visual, as you describe, um, has a more profound effect 
on teens, especially teen girls, than other forms of social media. And, and this is from Facebook's own research. They employ the best in psychologists and computer technicians, etc., because they want to make sure that they are getting market share, of course, and that teens are buying into this. So, so they're actually researching the best ways to get teens engaged, but their own research, which has been revealed just this week, is showing that um, one-third that's one in three girls are affected with anxiety and depression and even um, some of those with suicidal thoughts based on what they see on their Instagram profiles, um, particularly photos um, around body image. And this is a little bit concerning because, well, it's very concerning. Uh, you know, I, I remember from my time on Instagram, there's no question you get a dopamine hit when you get a whole slew of likes and comments on a photo. Uh, you feel good about yourself and then you have post up another photo and sort of like nothing happens and you think, well, that one kind of failed. Um, <laughs> you delete it an hour later. <laughs> <laughs> delete it an hour later because it's not going anywhere. Um, one of the things yeah, that sort of concerns me about this is that there is a competitive drive to put better photos up so that you get more likes, so that you get more dopamine and I'm just speaking from my own experience here, my own personal experience. And, you know, I just always saw that as like, well, this is just driving me to be a better photographer. Uh, but, of course, for teen girls and so forth, you know, there's also the temptation, well, if you want just like to really boost your likes, just wear less clothing. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's the problem. And there's a name for it, Lyle, what you're talking about. It's called approval porn. Um, we are hardwired to find social interaction with other humans rewarding. We like to be liked by others. We actively seek out things that will mean we are liked more and will avoid things that mean we are liked less. Social media exploits this and leverages that with teenagers, lack of impulse control, which is I think teenagers don't have impulse control. Um, puberty forces teens' approval-seeking mechanisms into overdrive and destroys their impulse control. So approval porn in software that allows you to stimulate being in a large group of people and having them like you. And so this is the issue is that in the past you um, were in the schoolyard and, and you, you you might have um, a small group of friends but and you sought approval from them. That's okay, that's natural to, um, to be in those groups and to find those friendships. But when it's on a large scale, as you said, I think um, you said that Shell had 35,000 followers or something. That, yeah. That's like a huge social media group. And so um, each time you get a like or you get a tweet or um, whatever else to, to say they like you, as you say, you get that dopamine hit. And and what we're finding is that um, this is particularly harmful to the girls, and Facebook has found this, and they admit that in their research. Um, boys are more likely addicted to gaming, computer gaming. Um, that's where addiction kicks in for boys, more likely to happen there, some girls too. But with girls, it's more likely to be addicted to social media. And Instagram plays right into this with our teenage girls, and Facebook admits it. Okay, so if Facebook knows how dangerous this is and how, how, how bad it is, for the health of teenagers and particularly teenage girls, what are they doing to address that? Um, nothing at the moment we can see. Um, there's been a few inquiries. Like Facebook right now is wanting to create an Instagram for uh, children, 
younger than 13. This is what's happening right now is they want to actually do it so that younger kids can be engaged in these social media platforms, particularly Instagram and Facebook. So, 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 so there's been a number of inquiries, but it's quite concerning to me as a, a dad, as a pastor, as a children's pastor and a researcher to see this occurring. Uh, can, can we say as a grandfather as well? I'm about to become a grandfather. Um, <laughs> I, I, have a, I have a grandson on the way. So, yes, all those ideas of how I can impact the next generation are now kicking into me as well. And, yes, um, it is quite concerning to all of us to see the world, our children growing up in very different to the world that we grew up in, where we were, our social media was getting lost in the bush and going out and um, playing um all sorts of games in the bush and coming home when the street lights come on. There was no social media as far as um, tweets and likes. Our likes were found in the bush. Yes, indeed. And there's not a lot, a lot, a whole lot of things in the in the bush to give you uh, negative likes or anything like that. It, uh, it it's just a great environment for kids to be living in. And you know, um, when I when I look at this, and okay, so my, my next, so so Facebook is not doing anything about it. They're actually going harder after younger children than what they've done in the past. This seems, it, it almost seems to me to be very similar to the way that, you know, cigarette companies have operated in the past where they have particularly targeted young people so that they can get them addicted younger and younger and younger so that they can keep them longer and longer and longer and make more and more money out of them. Are we seeing the same kind of behaviour with Facebook that what we've seen in the far past with uh, alcohol and smoking companies? I, I would um, tend to agree there, Lyle, and this could be the, the big lawsuits of the future um, because um, the brain research is proving that the same addictive um, tendencies in the brain occur um, when we have our, let our kids play games on stop online um, and, and what's in those games of concern as well. There, there are some good games online. Don't get me wrong, I love some of the games, but some of these games and the morals that they promote and um, the the porn that's involved in some of those games is of concern as well to our boys. But, yeah, social media and its free reign on our children. I mean, I've been told, we work in schools, I've been told in schools that the children are putting themselves to sleep with a mobile phone and particularly Instagram and, and Facebook is what they use or, or YouTube clips to put themselves to sleep at night. That's a pacifier. Yeah, which is kind of like the worst possible thing to go to sleep to because it's going to give you very, very poor sleep, that you know, that light coming off the screen and so forth. There's a lot of science out there to show that that's a, a really terrible idea and you're going to have a very, very low quality of sleep, which is going to lead to depression and, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. The whole cycle kicks in and, um, yeah, and every hour online it's affecting the wiring of the brain and the addictive tendencies of the brain. And they, they say to parents at the moment, which is saying for every hour online should match that with at least two hours outside. Yes, that's really, really powerful, um, powerful stuff right there. And, you know, they need to do things. Lawson, I think that most parents out there just need to, to go and buy their kids a, a, a little motorbike, right? Amen. <laughs> like, yeah, I was actually thinking about this because this is something that is affecting me as an adult. Like, just recently, 
I've been really struggling with Zoom fatigue, with Photoshop fatigue, with Canva fatigue, like being, you know, having to just sit at my desk all day using these programs. And yes, like Zoom is something that you interact with other people, but just being stuck in the box, like, and, and being just so on edge and making screen time something that is, is now just so like intense in every, in every context. It's like, there's never a switch off. Um, that it has just been really leading me outside. And thankfully, like we've only recently in the last couple of months moved to a place with a backyard. I bought a motorbike. I spend pretty much every day, whether it's an hour or two hours a day down there, you know, um, in the midst of my work and, um, I'm loving it. Like literally it's like the one thing getting me through in lockdown. It's he's he's going home, he's getting outside and he's hitting the bush. It sounds like it's a great solution <laughs> I, right there. Yeah, I'm not a kid, but I'm a pretty young person and I'm like, and I can just see like as an adult, like I need this. And so if anyone needs this, it's definitely our kids. Yeah, how old were you when you first got on a motorbike? Oh dude, I was like. We, I was three up the backyard, ran into my um, granddad's car, <laughs> put a dent in it. Luckily, he was, <laughs> luckily he was re- retiring that car. But um, no, nah, dude, it's like I, that has been such a big part of my life. And I think such a positive thing for me because it's given, it's just yeah, given me an outside hobby that I love doing. Yeah, fantastic stuff. Now, and Darren, the- just 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 if I could come back to you, Darren, real quick. Um, you were going to say something there. I, I cut you off. Go ahead, say that. I was going to say, but Lawson, the issue here is that you're an adult and your brain's telling you that you need to get outside, that enough is enough. Teenagers mm. don't have that enough is enough in their brain. By puberty, that breaks come off to allow their brain to go to an adult. And that's a dangerous time when Instagram kicks in and, and um, those addictive tendencies get hardwired. Mm. Um, and what the result is that these teens are then have these addictive tendencies wired in for life. Mm. Yeah, that's a really, really sobering thought right there. Darren, just coming back to this article that you are sharing with us, is this some new research that Facebook has just discovered that they're now going to implement changes or is this something they've actually known about for a while? Well, I think now that's been released to the public, there'll be some pressure come to bear. Um, and I think the discussion's about to start and Facebook's going to face the pressure to be responsible and to step up and realise that um, what they are offering is, is a very powerful drug and there needs to be controls around that. So I think that's the debate that's about to happen um, in our media in the next um, few months. But how long has Facebook known that this is a problem? Well, I don't know on this for a long time. What I was saying, it doesn't actually how far it goes back, but it's research happened over the last few years that they've been in, their own psychologists have been doing and warning Facebook about. Yeah, so this is uh, this is you know this is not a company that has our best interests in mind. This is a company that has their bottom line, their their uh, you know the, the the almighty dollar as the primary driving force, and it's a little bit worrying when that's affecting our children so negatively. Yes, yes, and my advice, and quickly to to parents is: remember, you can't parent from your own mobile phone. You need to be in your child's space. You need to be the one that is putting in place the balance for them and, and modelling what that looks like, getting involved in a hobby. Um, board games are not... Oh, they can be addictive in different ways, but as you well know, Lyle, board games are the best way to bring the family together and get them off social media, especially in lockdown. But get them, get them involved in family things, do things together, find a hobby, whether it's a motorbike or building planes or whatever, um, a hobby that you and your team enjoy doing, and I can guarantee your team will not 
be on these social media platforms as much because they'll want to be with you. Children spell love as T-I-M-E, and that is the thing that is rare these days with our busyness of life. So let's take this lockdown to develop relationships with our children, which is far more powerful than any social media platform. Thanks for being a part of the Faith FM family. Join our community on Facebook or get in touch at 1-800-FAITH-FM.